Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Mr. Matthew Offenbacher, back in the studio in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I don't think Christmas and New Year's, we're not quite there yet, but the holidays are progressing right along, Matt. How's everything in the holiday land for you guys? It's a little bit wild, I would say, trying to get everybody lined up. And I think one thing I didn't realize with like having kids, I mean, I knew all the birthday parties and stuff you get invited to, but all these like other things where you're like, well, I don't want to go to that, (laughs) but oh, it's your kid's friend or like, I don't want to sing Christmas carols. Oh, but it turns out that your children do like, yeah. (laughs) so there's been a lot of putting my family first and that being tested. That's good. Uh, but maybe it'll break more Christmas spirit into me. So it's oh, yeah. just like thinking of all the things you have to do when the year end feels like a deadline. Yeah. And then trying to come to terms with the fact that you might not get them all accomplished. Yeah. No, I get it too. It's a tough balance. I mean, as a father, which again, you're well aware of is they're not going to be this young forever. And there's going to be times, and it's so cliche to say like, when you look back, you'll forget and wish you did more. And I really take that stuff to heart. Like even today, my son had a... He goes to a school, St. Peter's, and they do chapel. Of course, my wife works from home, has her own business, so she can attend like all the festivities at their school. And I've tried to make as many as I can. I'm batting maybe 40%. But like, that's pretty good, though. I mean, I could have easily done it today, but it's that balance of like, I do have an obligation with my job. Because if I did everything, it'd be really tough to be committed here all the time. But nonetheless, my wife sent me some videos and. Yeah, like looking back at even some of the stuff that they did years ago with like these little dances and events that they do, it's like, it's so cool, especially that we can capture it on phones. I wasn't there, but to see him walk on stage and dance not to the music while singing Christmas carols, was just it's priceless, man. I just love it. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned one thing. This is probably totally irrelevant for anybody who doesn't have a kid, but like (laughs) my oldest is five and he goes to a Spanish immersion preschool and... He loves it, but like they send, I think most of these places now have an app where they'll send you like a picture or video. Oh, during the day. It's like, you spent a ton of money here. Here's something that appears to be what you're getting, you know, Mm -hmm. except for like there are certain days where he's super into it and he's just talking so loud. He's talking over everybody (laughs) and he's really into time right now. Like, oh no, time on the clock. Like, you know, be like, I need to see it turn 11, 11 (laughs) and like, you know, lose it if he can't. No way. And I keep my watch. I used to do a lot of international business. And so I would just keep it on 24-hour time or military time, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Because it's easier to do math on what time it was wherever you're... Yeah. Anyways, so my son is fascinated by the idea that my clock keeps going and then goes back to zero. Oh, yeah. And apparently he was telling everybody else about that. <laughs> and <laughs> it was really loud. He's like, when it is 12 o'clock... Like 12, the sun is out. It is the middle of the day. But when it is zero, that's the middle of the night and you should be asleep. (laughs) And it was just like this very stern lecture to like (laughs) six other five-year-olds. It was like. (laughs) That's so awesome. As a matter of fact. (laughs) Yeah. You need to know this. (laughs) Dude, I love it. Actually, speaking of time, we were watching a movie the other night on Netflix. The original language is Sweden. I think it's filmed over there, but it's dubbed. And I guess in some parts of the world, they must use military time only because 
the clocks in the show, for some reason, I picked up on the digital clocks were all 24-hour time. Mm. So, again, I didn't know if that's in some parts of the world they do that. Anyway. Weirdos. I guess, yeah. I know. Speaking of movies, have you guys watched any Christmas movies? I mean, do you have any favorites or what? I mean, Christmas Vacation, that's too old for children, right? But like... No, we watched it once already. We're talking about watching it again. Christmas Vacation is definitely like an Offenbacher family staple. Yeah. And it's sort of funny too, like you get married and my wife... She's like, I wouldn't allow to watch TV during the week, and I certainly would never be allowed to watch this. <laughs> like, my family's like, all right, everybody get in front of the TV. So <laughs> Every year we watch it, and even this year, I pick up on these either one-liners or things that I didn't recognize the year before, and yeah. I just get the biggest kick out of it. Like, over dinner, and then the part about the cat. Like, for some <laughs> reason, I didn't remember him having the cat in the box. <laughs> I don't know why, but when I watched it this year, I was like, is this new? Like my wife's like, yeah, I don't for some reason remember this part. And so of course we just got the biggest kick out of it. Yeah. Classic. Anyway, we're off topic here, but this is a season. I love talking about this stuff. If you hey, can tell. the folks in the trailers, there's a whole slew of holiday movies and probably one of them strikes a chord in your heart. Yeah. And we hope that maybe it's Christmas vacation. Yeah. No. And then the last thing I'll say on that is we managed to get through Elf as a family Mm -hmm. for the first time ever. So I was quite pleased with that. So hopefully my kids appreciated it as much as I did. They seem to like it. They laugh when the narwhal pops out of the water and he says, he says something, okay, buddy or something. I don't know. We all died laughing. But anyway, that was fun for everyone out there. I hope you're enjoying the holiday season and yeah, on to some drilling fluid stuff, man. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Because this is a drilling fluid. That's why people are listening (laughs) if they haven't stopped already, right? I would imagine that a lot of people fast forward to at least like a minute and a half to, or maybe even five each episode. They're like, okay, and about five minutes. Now they'll start talking about drilling fluids. But but if you're still here with us, thank you. Yes. Yes, indeed. Matt, a topic came up. We had the wonderful world of issues with directional tools. It's definitely not the first, won't be the last, but there was question from a drilling engineer, Mr. JD, if you're listening, big shout out. I'm not going to use your full name because obviously there's some things around that that I want to respect, but we had a good conversation around it. And he said, you know, could it be possible that all diesels are not created equal? And I said, that is an amazing question. And we did some lab testing and got him some good results. So I brought it to you. I was like, why don't we have a conversation about diesel? Because we've had it about base oils Mm -hmm. and then, you know, talking about diesel and synthetics and this and that, but really like diving deep into the just diesel in itself. I mean, I thought it was a good idea and you had a lot of good information on it. Yeah. What do you think? Is it a good topic? Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, let's start off with the first topic at a very high level. And I didn't know this until reading the show notes, but at a high level, it's categorized typically by crude fraction. Mm -hmm. Why don't you go ahead and start there? Well, look, diesel can technically be just about anything that you can run in a diesel engine. So a diesel engine, it runs off of diesel oil mixture. Under compression, it will combust. So your gasoline engine, you have spark plugs, so they provide the spark. This, it auto-ignites under compression. So that's how diesel engines work, which means they can burn a lot of different things as long as under compression with a mixture of air, they go boom and push a piston. But the deal is, like, diesel's a pretty broad thing. So it's, a, as you said, a crude fraction. Basically what happens is you get the crude oil that comes out of the wells we drill, take to a refinery. First thing you do is you're going to do distillation. And distillation is basically I take that crude oil and I heat it up because there's a bunch of stuff in crude oil. And I want to separate it into the different useful components. And the first phase of that is basically cook it. So like the lightest stuff goes to the top of the column. You see those big tall columns that you drive by a refinery? Mm -hmm. Anybody in the Houston Chip Channel hear me? (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, the lighter stuff goes to the top, if that makes sense. And then the less light stuff doesn't go as high. And then the less, right? So we keep going down. So like the very bottom is all the tar and bitumen and all that like 
really heavy chain stuff that even when you heat it up, doesn't float up. Well, there's a fraction there that is somewhere between C9 and C25, pretty broad range, is separated out as diesel. This isn't a specific chemical. It's just that fraction coming off the tower, if that makes sense. There are other things. These are generally called middle distillates. It's like fuel oil. So heating oil, a lot of heating oil will work in a diesel engine. The government gets very mad if you were to do that because you're supposed to be paying exorbitant taxes and all that before you put it in your truck. Mm-hmm. But like kerosene, some of these others are very similar. They might have some additives, they might be a little, but it's very, very close in nature. A stat I read was 11 to 12 gallons of diesel out of every barrel of crude oil, depending mm. on things. So a pretty healthy portion of a barrel of crude oil is going to be diesel. Yeah, But this isn't like, you know, we talk about synthetic oils where it's just that one specific carbon chain repeating and that sort of thing. This is just, I cooked off into fractions and part of the crude oil is this section we're calling diesel. Gotcha. Right? And the thing is, we have that stuff, it'll burn in an engine, and then we get into a little bit more technical specifications for applications of like what type of engine and that sort of thing. Number one diesel People hear of like winter blends. Yep. The thing about diesel is it's actually pretty thick. It might get too thick to really operate very efficiently in a diesel engine. You might add kerosene to it. You might add other distillates. You might add other additives for that matter. But the whole idea is to thin it out so that it will operate under colder temperatures. Issue, not as much energy. So your gas mileage might go down. Hmm. Okay. So then we get to number two diesel. This is sort of the standard stuff that you probably buy at your gas station today. Or is it really a gas station if you're buying diesel? <laughs> Anyways. And is it actually gas? No, no, it's gasoline station if it should be. Yeah, if we want to go there. <laughs> and soon to be electric power generating station. Maybe. Possibly powered by a diesel engine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But I digress. So you have the clear stuff, which is what you put in a truck, right? You paid taxes on it. The pink or the red dyed diesel. I also found this interesting there is a blue color diesel yeah. for government slash military applications. That's cool. Yeah, you I don't like mentioned that taxes. the other day. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, I've never seen it. I was like looking on the internet for like, is there a picture of like a jar of this stuff? Because I'm curious. No, no kidding. But yeah. And then there's even a number four diesel for lower speed engines. But a lot of this is associated with viscosity and a few other specs. It just depends on what that sort of balance of fractions of ratios are, Mm. whether it's thinner or thicker. That's a lot of the driver there. Makes sense. Well, if my Alberta roughneck math is accurate, I see a one, two, and a four, and what the missing number is is three. Why is there no three diesel? I don't know. And I was trying to figure this out, and like (laughs) I didn't look that deep, but I just went to a bunch of different brochures and other things, and it was like... Well, I don't know what number three did to tick everybody off, but, you know. (laughs) Yeah, interesting. I don't know if they put lead in it or something and it's like been banished from. Anyways. Yeah. If you're using number three diesel, let me know. Right. (laughs) That may be the holy grail for mud. Okay. That makes sense. We've got the one, two, and the four. And then, of course, everyone's, I'm sure, has heard or like at least read some articles or seen some headlines about biodiesel. So what in the world is biodiesel? We talked about esters. So this could be uh, fatty acids. Think of like vegetable oils. You know, this is, do you ever see the Simpsons where they were stealing all the used oil from McDonald's and all that kind of thing? (laughs) No. Anyways, you can make biodiesel with that. But like animal fats, a lot of these things will have these triglycerides. You react with caustic and alcohol, which is usually methanol. And you're going to end up in this carbon range that is similar to diesel. So guess what? Other than the biodiesel is pretty corrosive, you can run this stuff 
you can take biodiesel and put in a diesel engine today. Hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, a lot of newer vehicles are rated for it. Anyways, biodiesel is some form of diesel. Our observation generally is because that stuff can saponify or turn into a soap. It's the reason that we're reluctant to have it in our muds because it can create like thickening effects and that sort of thing. And occasionally we do catch batches of biodiesel that are contaminated or diesel that are contaminated or have a portion of biodiesel in them and weird mud behavior. What we'll actually do is we'll basically add caustic and heat it up and try and force that soap out to demonstrate that it's there. God, okay. Um, that's a thing. We might end up seeing more of that, but there's probably a healthy reason to not want that in your drilling fluid. We mentioned it's a crude fraction. What that means is diesel is a pretty broad spectrum of stuff, of molecules. It's not like other base oils that have a very specific profile, environmental-wise, property-wise, that kind of thing. But that's also a reason that it's available in so many different places. And really, it's just to achieve that one goal, to combust under that compression, that kind of thing. But you can see a fairly broad range of flash points. Okay. Aniline point, we've talked about, is that aromatic that will absorb into rubber, can cause some elastomer failures. Right. There's sort of some, when I talk to the elastomer people, they're kind of like, okay, here's the deal. Low aniline point does cause elastomers to swell, but it doesn't necessarily always lead to failure. Mm. So they could be related. It's so like a really low aniline point scares me, but... I think a lot of people thought aniline point was sort of the end-all be-all of compatibility. Sure. Except for if it was that bad, then a lot of diesel would have, we'd have chunked motors left and right for a long time. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's the point. Specific gravity is going to range because you've got all of these different carbon fractions that could be diesel. Like this is another thing. We might use a standard for specific gravity just to kind of have all things being equal, but most spec sheets will say a specific gravity of diesel could be anywhere from like 0.82 to 0.88, which for base oils, 0.88 is really heavy. Yeah. Like that's really thick oil probably too, which is kind of going into kinematic viscosity where base oil can be very thick. It can be quite thick along with thinner. The range is broad. So you could have it in the twos, but you could have it above four and four is really thick. And we've talked about kinematic viscosity and base oil, maybe retaining fine solids gelation it can create some other issues no and the fact is if i go by diesel it still could combust in that engine and have some of those properties right those are a few things i mean sulfur content road quality diesel a lot of it has to have very low sulfur now for environmental reasons right the interesting thing is we talked in a previous podcast how taking that sulfur out has reduced the lubricity of some of these base fluids which means a supplemental lubricant is more likely to be helpful nowadays than it was way back when. That's right. But that all being said, like you can still get high sulfur diesel, especially for what we do in drilling fluids because we don't set it on fire. Right. But jumping down to kind of my next point, diesel in drilling fluids, because it doesn't need to combust, doesn't meet any of those specs, what it needs to do is be oil continuous so it can be inhibitive and work in our oil-based mud. A lot of times what we get is people's trash. Maybe it's contaminated. Maybe it's a bad load. It failed to meet one of the ASTM specs for combustion. And so I like, go, oh, sell it to the mud guys. They'll buy anything. Some of these sort of teapot refineries or what have you will have stuff that they'll sell you because they can't use it. Yeah. Sometimes water got in the tank too. We can deal with that. It could really damage an engine. Any of that stuff that sort of gets rejected, we're sort of like the bottom feeders that take it along with, you know, a lot of those other scenarios. And then of course, we also use the diesel that's used in the generators and that kind of thing too, because it's super convenient. Like, availability of base oil is a huge deal. Mm. And guess what? 
I have a tank that has to be there anyways, and I have a delivery network for it. It would be very different if we had to use an alternative base oil and have another delivery mechanism for it, right? Yeah. Kind of going back to the different properties, have you ever tested diesels that at the naked eye looked normal, but then they had something that was a contaminant? And if so, like, what's a sort of a common issue? Or if there is one, what do you typically see? One of the hard things is I think we've had a hard time because diesel's so noisy. If you try and get the GCMS fingerprint of all those carbon chains, it looks like the back of a porcupine, all the spikes Mm. of every carbon fraction that's picking up, right? Yeah. Versus like another base oil that might have a spike at C16 and a spike at C18. Everything else is clean. So anything else that comes into it, you're like, aha, that's bad. A lot of it gets masked. Sometimes it's a little harder to isolate exactly what it is. We'll have theories. For a while, we were very intrigued by like sulfur content relative to certain performance characteristics of emulsifiers, or we thought we were seeing some behavior and it didn't look like there was that relationship. We try and do the full composition to have any idea of if anything's there. And sometimes the delta will help you, right? Like you're in a baseline of like what a normal diesel is. And then you run something and you're like, aha, this carbon fraction changed. Could that be a problem? Our folks are good enough at this that sometimes they can tell you where you bought that diesel. Like, it's kind of funny. It, like, we got a bunch of samples in that we had to test. And, like, one of our analytical chemists was like, those two came from the same place. This one came from these people. And it was just like, okay, wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but having that sort of pattern, we were able to pick up, okay, there's a couple of things here that don't look like they belong. And then it's a little bit harder because sometimes what you might do is say, okay, do I have a sample in the lab of that stuff that I could add in. But the other thing is, think about really light hydrocarbons. They tend to float off. They don't stick around as much. It's a very long-winded way to express that not always, but almost everything we have to iterate through. We have to look at, give me the sample. Let's do a test. Let's just make sure there's no surprises here. Because sometimes we'll see something that looks anomalous, and it is an anomaly. It's just noise. Other times, it's a problem. Yeah. So isolating those is tricky when you've just got so many characters. Yeah, that's fascinating. So when we talk about on the operation side of things, what kind of issues would you typically see if you started incorporating some quote unquote bad diesel or a diesel that had some contaminants in there that just really weren't compatible with mud? I think the big thing that we've seen hasn't been, there have been a few, it doesn't happen often. So I'll say, hey, I'm getting a real good deal on this load of diesel. Tell me what you think. We've had a couple where it was like, you couldn't even make a mud with conventional additives. Where you were like, I don't know what's in this. I don't know what's wrong. But like, this doesn't compare to any diesel standard we have. Normally, what we see if it's quote unquote bad is it just takes more product. We want to try and help the customer understand the value proposition of, hey, I know that you think you're getting a deal, but your cost of ownership might actually be higher than you think. We're going to consume more product because this oil has something in it that is undermining the quality of our performance of certain products. And it's weird because you can look at different additives, you can kind of play around and maybe something's more efficient, but these loads are so small and they're so one-off. They're getting a deal on it because someone's trying to get rid of it. Yeah. That it's very difficult to offer a prescription immediately. Not that we haven't, but sometimes we don't really say, hey, if you haven't bought it yet, this is probably better to give to some other sucker. (laughs) Right. Um, Increased product usage is a big one. And then just weird stuff. There have been occasions where we have seen like spikes in viscosity, like sudden random viscosity behavior. 
and we've chased a few that were associated with that biodiesel trace, like 10 or 15% biodiesel that was starting to saponify. So you're starting to get like a waxy concoction in the mud and it's just wreaking havoc on things. Yeah. That stuff's out there, but the hard part is there are just so many dependencies. So what we try and do is we try and get a sample of some of this stuff. We have a very basic set of standards that we test some guardrails of, Hey, keep this in mind. We measure all the typical properties if they're not on a spec sheet. We have a standard mud formulation. We compare it to another a control versus our lab stock. Is it taking more or less? Does everything look exceedingly similar? Yes, it does. You should buy it. Get your discount. But we typically have to iterate through those things. I can't just look at it and tell you. Right. Makes sense. I'd love to someday. It'd <laughs> save us a lot of time. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, that's good. I mean, again, so when it comes down to, like, if you were to have some not great diesel, but unless it's like really impacting the mud, chances are it's not really impacting much else on the drilling operations. Yeah. I mean, our whole thing is get them to provide a spec sheet. And it's sort of interesting because some of them intentionally won't publish certain properties. It could be they're like, I don't have to, and this could be a distraction. Mm-hmm. Or it could be, you're leaving this out because if I saw what was in it, I wouldn't want it. Sometimes we'll do some backup beyond the spec sheet. We'll do that pilot test with like recovered diesel, which we've talked about. Sometimes there's a bunch of solids in it. There's other things that would like totally undermine its utility. The last thing I would say is if you're buying a bunch of this stuff, make sure what they say they're selling you is what they're selling you. Like verify it upon receipt. Because one of the hard parts with these one-off loads is if you're only buying a truck of it, it might not make a difference because how much dilution is that really? Like if your base mud's fine, maybe you don't even notice the difference. But if you're going to be using a lot of it or what have you, make sure the one where they're like, oh, look at how great this is. Here's a sample, wink, wink. And you test it. You're like, yeah, this stuff looks great. And then the truck arrives and you're like, that is not what you sent me. There's a little bit of policing there. And a lot of it is just people not knowing. Everybody wants to get diesel cheaper than the price of diesel. Everybody wants to do these things. And sometimes we like will these things to be true. And sometimes we're like, ah, we'll just deal with it. If we can check in advance, that's one thing at AES we want to do is we want to make sure our customers are making the best decisions. We don't want their mud bills skyrocketing because it's something weird. But if we can see those unforeseen risks, we do everything we can to address them and we've got the resources to do it. Perfect. So, Well, no, I appreciate you diving into that and doing a little research because I got the text. He said to use his name. So Mr. John David, drilling engineer extraordinaire, him and I had a great conversation on this. And I said, man, I don't have all the answers, but I'll certainly do an episode of the flow line for you. So uh, big shout out to that gentleman there. And again, I think it's oftentimes we take it for granted getting just a good steady stream of diesel at the rig thinking everything's great. But yeah, sometimes you got to double check. And for the most part, it's always going to be okay. But it's great that for us as a company to be able to kind of put something under the microscope to make sure that you said like the customer is getting what they're expecting and paying for is always important because ultimately it impacts us and the rest of the team out there on the rig. But that's all I got, Matt. Anything else before we log off here? No, just another day in the oil field trying to buy somebody's trashy diesel. That's right. That's right. Make some mud out of it. (laughs) We're good at that. But with all that being said, all the listeners really appreciate the support. Continue to engage with us on LinkedIn or whatever platform that you're speaking with us on. Or if you're listening, make sure you give a review. We've got a lot of downloads and not as many reviews. So for the folks out there, if you're not driving, please just tap the button. You don't have to write something. Even the five stars or whatever stars you think we deserve is certainly appreciated. You can check us out on YouTube. And of course, LinkedIn, the website has just a ton of information as well. Or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at AESFluids.com. If you have any good questions, some of the best episodes come from just good conversation with whether you're a mud engineer or a drilling engineer or anyone who's involved. 
continue asking questions, remain curious, and until next time, take care. Later. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.